Welcome Welcome to to Record Record Crimes. Crimes. Join us today for our special series as we deep dive into the chaotic world of music copyright and legal battles. This This is Copyright Corner. going good we have a new episode for you guys today we have to introduce ourselves right this is a podcast (laughs) if you haven't figured that out now you're listening to a podcast uh specifically our podcast um and i'm clarice i'm liz and today's special oh yeah special episode special episode we're gonna turn this into a series because one of the many facets of crime in the music industry isn't so much murder or any crazy, you know, ongoings. It's more like copyright and lawsuits yeah. and people trying to steal others' ideas now with, you know, all the technology that exists that allows us to warp and take and yeah. leave no trace some of the time. It gets yeah. brought to court and a lot of that, you know, a lot of it is settled out, but it's still very interesting to just like see who fights over well, stuff. Well, there's also just like so much content of like... Mm-hmm people so either much like getting right. sued or wanting to sue someone even like people who probably should be sued and like aren't yet but it's such a complicated process because music is so subjective and everyone kind of interprets it a little different and right. people who don't have those trained ears or whatever maybe can't hear those subtleties that like those musicians are fighting right for you know and it's that's every- why it's so interesting though mm-hmm. because it's just like how much grounds do you really have to like, exactly. make, build a case here if you're not the musician or someone trying to make moolah off yeah. of the track you might not be having the same kind of ears and hearing the same kind of things that they are but so this brings us to our little copyright Copyright corner corner. (laughs) yay so cozy so So cozy cozy. in our copyright corner so cozy with all this talk of suing yes so snuggle in because we're really gonna get into the dirty deets over here We're going to talk about some cases, and like Clarice said, we're going to make it a series and talk about some different ones. So if you guys have any, let us know. Send them in. Let us know. Send us in. And that's just a general blanket statement. If you have any other crimes that you want to hear about, we're very open to hearing about it because there's just like so much bullshit. There's so much. And again, like it does not have to be murdery stuff or shit like that. Anything illegal. like Crime is a spectrum. I know. So get cozy. Clarice is got a little cup of gel in a bulldog mug. Love I this love mug. this mug with my whole heart. And then I have my classic Yerba Mate Enlightenment. <laughs> it's the best. It's my second one today, of course. Liz drinks Yerba Mate more than she drinks water. That's not true. I'm getting really good. If I have a water bottle near me, I'm there. Okay. That respect. You also have a massive Brita filter, which I yeah. kind of bow down to. Yeah. Um, 
So here's how this episode is going to roll. We each have picked out two copyright cases. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back and forth and we're going to end with the one that we think for each of us was the best yeah. out of the two that we picked. But before that, we kind of just wanted to lay down the groundwork of what copyright is in the music industry. And, you know, for all those listening that don't really have an idea of what is copyrighted and what is not copyrighted and how that plays out in court just in a general sense. So let's get into it, unless you have anything. No, I'm further. Let's All freaking good. go. Alrighty. So, what is music copyright? Copyright is an intellectual property right which is legally enforceable. So, according to the concept in the Copyright Act, a copyrighted work prevents stealing and infringing of a person's original creations. So, for something that's intangible but has value, like a song, or, you know, music in general. Copyright manifests the moment a creation of the mind is made tangible. Like a record How, or yep. like, a, like a song. Thinking of yeah. a song. Yeah. Want to turn it into a thing. At that moment, it has value. It becomes tangible and it can be protected. Copyright is defined by two qualities, original and fixed. Original means made by you and not derivative or based on any existing material. And fixed means that the idea or the creation was transferred into a medium receivable by others. So that can mean written down, a voice memo, all the way up to a professional recording. So Um, like would... So it can't just stay in your mind and be protected. Like you have to put it down somehow and you have to like say it to someone and have evidence. Yeah. In order for it to be, quote unquote, tangible by others. Well, what I used to do to copyright my songs when I was writing in high school was I would write down the lyrics and mail them to myself Mm -hmm. and leave it sealed. Yeah. Um, As long as it's like dated. As long as it's dated. And there's like proof that you did it at a certain time. And that's why. I think in the digital age, it's like a little easier to. Voice memos are a lot easier because they keep the exact time and the date. Even sessions and stuff have Mm -hmm. all that information. Like even when. Time code. Yeah. Yeah. Is embedded in like most most code of anything music or not time is in there so it's really hard to dispute that right any sort of creation original and fixed can be protected by copyright and that's important but there are two sides to music copyright in particular the compositional and publishing copyright and then the sound recording copyright so together They make up 200% of the copyright for a piece. Someone can own 100% of the compositional or publishing copyright and then can also own 100% of the sound recording copyright. But they're also very separate, as we will see in a second, as I'll describe. But yes, it is a thing in the music industry for copyright to have 200% total because there's two different facets. So the first 100% is the compositional publishing copyright. This covers the creation of the lyrics, melody, and overall composition of the song. And it can be split among several people if they've all contributed to the composition of the piece. Right. And that is that split is agreed upon, you know, yeah, a lot between of times, the creators and stuff. They hash yeah, that out. Like That's not really a core usually. issue. Right. Because I don't know, it's like... Sometimes it is. But it can I, be. It's, it's rare. Usually that's kind of figured out at the beginning of the process if you're working with people like... Yeah, that stuff is figured out before... Because when things go to court, it's because it's already been published and right. sent out to the public. So right. they try to hash that out before it goes public because you don't want to not have as much credit as you're given due and have it go public and mm-hmm. then have that whole dispute. Yeah. It's messy. And then the other 100% refers to the sound recording copyright 
which actually means copyright of the master recording, which I wasn't aware of until looking into this a bit deeper, which is important. Yeah. So when a song is composed, recorded, mixed, and then mastered for the overall final product, unlike the compositional copyright, the master copyright is often owned by one single individual or entity. So like Taylor Swift, she didn't own her masters. Exactly. Like, and I for was for a really long time. Yeah. That's, I literally just like read my mind. Yeah. I was gonna bring that up. But yeah. um like that's a very accessible like example because that was so public and very important in mm-hmm. like the music industry because there are a lot of other artists who not maybe not silently, but like kind of have to deal with that maybe not so publicly and Exactly. Yeah. It and sucks. Yeah, it does suck. And her way to get around I think uh JoJo also she recorded all of her old albums because she didn't own any of the masters right. and like, Oh, so good. You're missing out on a huge part of the copyright. Well, yeah, of course, because then you don't get any of the royalties. Exactly. Or like and that. so like when artists sign to a record label, they are essentially agreeing to give up a hundred percent of the mastering copyright mm-hmm. because the label is there to help them record, master their work and then have the ownership to sell the records and albums, which is why, because like as an individual artist, once you get, you know, recording and like doing all the creative stuff, then there comes the business side and it's a lot to handle, which is why a lot of artists who get a lot of gigs and a lot of work and, you know, need to produce a lot will partner with a record label yeah, in order to help that business side. Right. But it also means that the record label gets to keep the master copyright because the master copyright gives them the legal right to distribute and sell, which is again, like, it's such a cyclical process yeah. of recording and selling and recording and selling and only recording because you're selling and needing to record again and right. all that stuff. So artists will typically get to keep their compositional copyright because that's pretty straightforward. The record label didn't help them write any of the music. Yeah, The record label can provide writers, but the record label itself isn't getting the credit. It's those writers it's those that, session are, writers. that yeah. are getting the credit. That's so, pretty common. There's yeah, like, there's very like common. a big handful of like session songwriters that have a hand in a lot of popular music. And as Liz said earlier, this division between compositional and sound recording copyright has made it difficult for some artists like Taylor Swift, which honestly needs to have her own episode because she's rewriting and has, I think she still is. She can have the new masters and be able to sell and distribute and benefit off of those masters because she owns them. Yeah. Or at least is doing it with powerful enough where like she's such a powerful person in the music industry, just Mm -hmm. in like so many different ways i feel like we've talked about taylor swift in other episodes already she is very important in the music industry for a really long time she's changing changing a lot and like the stuff behind the scenes yeah Yeah. she has a lot of power and Mm -hmm. she is trying to use that power to help like her fellow creators absolutely do you know if she's recording with like a new label or is she recording under her own label because i I mean if she records with a new label then that label is still owns the mastering i want to say that she has her own label but i would have to double check because that could get dicey i should look into that i think she either has her own label or like in her contract with this new label she like owns all the masters either way she owns like her okay okay so there's been there's contracts and stuff written down agree okay well good for her um, yeah, we'll definitely do like a Taylor Swift episode because like there's just so there's much. There's so many things she's been so, involved in. Yeah. Okay. So overall with the copyright, copyright belongs to the creator 
until they say otherwise. And you don't have to register your songs with the U.S. Copyright Office for a copyright to be made. And you don't have to sign a contract to legitimize your ownership of your work. True. Which is important. Yeah. Your music is intellectual property, one you inherently own upon creating. So, be boo bop I should say, though, things that can't be copyrighted are things like song titles, band names, slogans, facts, ideas, systems, or methods of operation. I think some good examples for those like last few is that Phil Spector's Wall of Sound yep. is a method of operation. So yeah, he, like you that's not technically copyrighted. That. Right. Or it's like, you know, the way that some artists will perform or have like a certain way of playing, like you can't yeah. copyright that. You also can't copyright uh, a fact. And I feel that is pretty uh, self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can't um, own that. You can't <laughs> like, own a f- <laughs> Facts. Facts. So an artist or band may apply for a trademark protection for a band or song name instead. Yeah. And in simplest terms, trademark protection can apply to a particular word, phrase, slogan, logo, design, smell, or a combination of these, which are used in relation to specific goods. In this case, music or goods produced by the artist, like merch, merchandise. Yeah. Um, The general principle behind trademark law is that the mark acts as an identifier to the public of the source of a good or service. Yeah. And it is actually a consumer protection law based on the origin of goods and services. So, you know, we know a bunch of very famous bands and band names and like the logo that goes with it, like all in one. Yeah. And you know when there's like an off brand of it. Yeah. <laughs> because the that original has been trademarked. Yeah. So, so they have to yeah. They have to. Alrighty. So that's just like a little bit of like very basic copyright definition and just like the two yeah. facets that are being protected under the law. But Liz is gonna go a little bit more into like what goes down in the courtroom. Yeah. So I kind of did a lot of research on what happens when you bring I guess we're talking specifically music, a copyright infringement case to court and the obstacles and the process there. So basically to establish a copyright infringement, you have to establish that you own a valid copyright in the work and that the work has been copied and is, quote, substantially similar to the protectable elements of the original work. Courts evaluate the similarity using qualitative and quantitative analysis. Come on, science. I haven't heard those (laughs) terms since (laughs) high school. So basically, they just evaluate like how much of the original work is copied and whether the character or the quality of expression is similar. So a lot of times they will bring in a musicologist to bring in testimony to kind of help their case or hurt their case. And usually that they're picked on like a case to case basis, similar to how other witnesses, I guess, in like courtrooms. Like how many musicologists are required. Right. And like experts of the music industry, if we will. Right. And so like. Generally speaking, a musicologist is just someone who has extensive knowledge on not only music theory, but music history. Mm. Um, and they've pursued advanced academic degrees or teachings in, in those topics. So we could become musicologists if we want. I would not want to go to school again. <laughs> I think I could become a musicologist. I feel like you could. Just There's so I could actually, stand up in court, you know, and be yeah. like, yes or no. There's actually a, a really good podcast called Switched on Pop. 
I want to say, one, I think one of the two hosts is a musicologist and he really knows how to break it down into like a very listenable way, you know? He's so really just smart. to make our podcast more reputable, one of us <laughs> should become a musicologist. Yeah. I'm on the case. So kind of some hurdles is just like the level of similarity. So some cases people can agree yes it's a little similar but not enough and again all of this is so subjective so it's really Mm -hmm. hard to bring these cases to court it depends on like your jury depends on like the songs itself it depends on the lawyers like it's very all over the place I imagine like more high profile cases get heard a little bit more than you know an indie up-and-coming band or something like that which is unfortunate but also like the business if the average audience wouldn't recognize the, I think that's kind of how they try to base it on. Mm. Like if the average listener can't really tell, mm. we don't care what the music experts have to say kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, but if it's blatantly obvious to right. the average music listener, right. they're like, let's take this bitch to court. Because I'm sure someone like a musicologist or even like a producer or someone like that can really pick out these fine details. Right. I'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, that is still valid. There's probably still cases that are similar, like, in that aspect, but they just aren't deemed similar enough, you know? Okay. Which is probably super frustrating. Like, I can imagine how frustrating that would be. And, again, it's, like, that level of similarity is so subjective. Mm -hmm. Lawsuits involving sampling, courts generally focus on whether or not the sample takes the heart or significant part of the original song. So even, like, a very short sample can be illegal samples have to be cleared through the original composers like you have to ask permission to use that sample Mm -hmm. as well as interpolations which is similar to a sample but a sample is kind of like a clip of the audio that's put in the song or and they can flip it around and that's very common in a lot of like hip-hop and rap and stuff like so there are master sample flippers like that's kind of like yeah we're not talking about him (laughs) please god no but an interpolation is when someone takes a lyric or a melody line and puts that into their song and that still has to be cleared as well Um, giving credit to getting the copyright for that yeah so a lot of cases where it's just cut and dry is when a sample isn't cleared it but it's still used for like commercial use you know yes that's like a lot easier to prove the case mm-hmm. you're like you either gave permission or you didn't right exactly no matter what you do to that sample it still needs to be cleared yeah. period period another aspect that the court has to prove is that the wrongdoer had access to that person's music yes which and that's going to be a really big thing in one of my cases yeah today. So oftentimes they look at how widely the song is distributed in the public and their general location. But copyright infringement is a strict liability. That means that the infringer doesn't really have to intend to infringe to be liable for infringement. Do we want to just jump into the cases? I'm not done, girl. Dang. I got so excited. I know you did. I'm sorry. I I am almost done, I promise. And I'm really stuttering through it. But it is important. People need to understand. Foundation. Let's go. They also often need to engage in like a detailed analysis regarding the extent in which the plaintiff can show the alleged infringement has actually caused damages. So not only do they need to show that there's copyright 
but it also needs to show that there's damages because of this copyright. Yeah, like, okay, so for example, they will analyze like the purpose and character of use. So that includes like commercial versus nonprofit. Mm. So if like they're not making money off of it, it's kind of just like. Right, but if they're making it's, buku bucks, right. like, that's damages. Um, it's also like the nature of the copyrighted work. So published versus unpublished, fiction versus nonfiction kind of thing. The amount and the portion of used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. So again, oh. just like how much. Right, like if it was just like a sample from this one song that's just a little blip yeah. versus like a good chunk of that song. Sure, yeah. And then the effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. So the courts apply these four factors on a case-by-case basis. No single factor of those four that I mentioned are used specifically. It's, again, case-by-case. But the courts have historically put more weight into the first factor, so the purpose, Mm -hmm. and the fourth factor, which is the effect on the market. and the Yeah. So the remedies for infringement include actual damages or profits. So, for example, they'll just have to a large payout or all of the profits that they made off that song. They have to pay to the the person who owns the the case. Right. Right. Fair market value if the infringer has secured a license in the infringer's profits. So I'll talk a little bit more about fair use in a little bit. Statutory damages, costs and attorney's fees. In the event of willingful infringement, possible criminal penalties. So I think that one's a little more (laughs) uncommon. I love that. Yeah. Artist turned turned criminal because they stole. It's nice being held accountable. Yeah. Criminal, though. All right. So again, sorry for stuttering through that, but (laughs) it is important because basically as i said about a million times it's very subjective it's very hard to prove in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. and a lot of these cases are settled outside of court or just because they want to keep it on the dl well yeah they do Mm -hmm. and they also i i think a lot of times it's cheaper to do that absolutely they're like i don't need anyone knowing that i stole this but also let me just give you this money and give you some credit and let's move on with our lives because king of doing that ed sheeran yeah which will we'll have a we're also Taylor gonna- gets her own episode. Ed gets his own episode. We'll just get into all these oh, people. Yeah. But you oh, know what? Yeah. I also I like that. I get it can be annoying for the courts that it's like a case by case difference, but that makes it so interesting for us because some yeah. copyright cases are so fucking funny and outrageous. They that are you're like, pretty- did they actually try to argue this? I like, know, but some of them, I'm like, how did they not get sued sooner? Yeah, which is what I'm. I'm I have like one of those yeah. as well, where I'm like, are it's you just, joking right yeah. now? Okay, so I would love to hear your first case. What I love about this case, one, is that it took so long for them to be like, oh, I think you might have stole something. My first one also took a really long time, and, too. And, you know, as I will speak for how popular this song is, like, the fact that it took 40 years for them to oh, be like... Oh, my God. 40 years for them to be like, <laughs> you know... Hey, wait a minute. I think, yeah. <laughs> it just is... It, that's hilarious to me. All right. Never mind. Um, Mine isn't as long And as two, <laughs> the fact, again, because it took... it's This is so recent, and I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. So one, it took too long. Two, had absolutely no idea. But the case that I, my first case, I'm going to be talking about 
the Spirit versus Led Zeppelin case of yeah. 2014. So this court case was between the two songs, Taurus by the band Spirit, um, that was written in 1968, mm-hmm. and Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, which was written in 1971. I, honest to God, had never heard Taurus before I looked up this case, which is a little bit of a shame. You um, say Taurus funny. Taurus? I did say Taurus that time. I'm sorry. I said Taurus. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> Taurus. I'm like, Taurus. Taurus. <laughs> Is it obvious that I don't read my moon signs? <laughs> How anti-LA Bye. of me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Taurus, the, like, the first song written, followed by Stairway to Heaven. So I'm just going to get to a little background with the people involved. This guy, Randy Wolf who is the lead guitarist and face of Spirit, was an incredible musician that the world doesn't know too much about since the outcome of this case. Mm. At 15, he spent three months playing five nights a week in Greenwich Village, New York. He was invited to sit in with Jimi Hendrix, who he met at a music store. So a really good artist at the age of 15. I hate when young people are better at things than me. Oh, my. But so he's playing with Jimi Hendrix at the age 15 in New York. And we don't know a thing about him, which is amazing. Yeah, that's pretty nice. What the heck? And it wasn't too much longer after, you know, age 15 with Jimi Hendrix that he went back to Cali and formed his part frog, part psychedelic outfit that became known as Spirit. So he made he went back to California and made a band. The band started off as Red Rooster. Okay. That was their initial name. I don't like that. Uh, but then quickly changed to Spirit Rebellious and eventually just settled on Spirit. And they debuted with um, an album in 1968, which is the album that Taurus is on. Yeah. And again, this is like the same time as like Woodstock. So just like many rock bands, Led Zeppelin openly adapted blues standards and morphed them into songs. We find like a lot of rock bands and just bands in general and when we say like blue standards, like that's what Alyssa and I were talking about before with like the chord progressions yeah, or, you know, little bits of like a melody, but not. The blues uh, follows like a, a standard uh, chord, progression. chord progression. Exactly. Um, so most blues yeah. tunes will follow that type of mapping out. Yeah. As music history will show, like blues morphed into rock. Yeah. rock and roll what we know it Definitely. as so led zeppelin again was just one of the many rock and roll bands that like you know take their blues and morph it into more famous things that we know today mm-hmm. but the most unsettling detail with led zeppelin was their association with spirit led zeppelin was their opening act for their u.s tour in 1968 and a few music festivals in 1969 so because of this little fact, this like later would lead to a lot of unease and see this is what accusations I was before, for the court because case. Ju- do they have can you prove that they had access, access to, to the, the music? music? Exactly. Wow. So this recent dispute has been on the forefront for a lot of rock fans and yeah, record labels. Totally. Why? Because it involves one of the most famous rock bands of all time, and like and even their most that's probably the, the most famous one of the most song. legendary songs yeah. as well. Yeah. And. And no offense to Spirit, yeah. but I imagine the weight of this trial leaned a little bit more towards Led Zeppelin 
Because I think it's hard for people. It would not, be a shame to know not that to be your biased. favorite. Exactly. But so the legal case that we're talking about was nearly 40 years after the creation of both these songs, the copyright dispute was originally recorded by journalist Michael Skidmore in 2014 wow. on behalf of Randy Wolf and his estate. Randy died in 1997. Oh. So he wasn't even alive to make the claim for it's himself. It's always the estates. But he has his, I. like, you know, Marvin his family. Yeah, yeah. And his estate, you know, stuff that's in charge of, you know, mm-hmm. Randy Wolf's stuff that he's still making money off of even sure. after death. Yeah. In 2014, they're like, hmm, we might have a case on our hands. Yeah, 40 years later. Yeah, that's crazy. And I know, like, you dispute whatever belongs to you whenever, but like 40 years later. You know, maybe it was kind of the thing where they're like, I didn't know that we could, like, really have grounds to sue on this mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they because, tried. Because I think in 2014, mine also happened in like 2013, 2014. I think in that time, bigger music copyright cases were kind of coming to, like, the more like general audience and people were starting to kind of make a fuss about it. And I'm wondering if maybe that affects maybe could definitely be that thing. And just the fact that, you know, this is after Randy died. So would he have even, he clearly didn't do it when he was alive. Right. So it might've just been like on behalf of him, you know? Sure. So spirit sued Led Zeppelin for copyright claiming they had stolen the opening riff from their song Taurus released one year before Stairway to Heaven. The song opens with acoustic arpeggios and a chord progression that resembles Taurus. Mm -hmm. So that's what they were disputing. They said that the opening riff and, you know, the Stairway to Heaven riff that everyone knows. And we'll link in the show notes just, like, YouTube clips of these songs. Yeah, we should play it, though. I want to hear the two opening riffs. Okay, Uh, we'll play it then. Okay. Alrighty, so we're going to play these two opening riffs for Lissa just so she can hear them real quick. Okay, okay. Um. <laughs> so, well, you know, I'm not going to lie, not knowing too, too much about this case, I was kind of like, oh, they're kind of reaching, but, oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know, like, I think that's, like, a pretty powerful way to compare. Yeah. Because you know what's funny is it's not mentioned in the court case, but, like, the timing. It's the timing, too. They're I- in time. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is, yes, this is, like, the opening riff, which is, you know, very popular very recognizable right but again this is like it's not even like they're fighting over the main the tune tune it's I'm, the opening and I that mean, just I shows say, you like, the, like that part of stairway to heaven is like the part that everyone knows how to play on guitar that is true you know what i mean when that mm-hmm. riff comes on you are like stairway to heaven you know yeah, like, you already know yeah this case that i chose and then the next one they kind of both are not the main theme right but very distinctive identifying markers for the music itself. You have to prove that it's like a substantial part of Mm -hmm. the song. Like it's like the part of the song and how much of it. And again, I think that this is, even though it's just the opening, it's very substantial. Yeah. Okay. So we just listened to that. We saw how it lines up and it's, I don't know. I listened to it and I was like, Oh dang. 
they yeah, are. Yeah, I didn't, I, again, I didn't like really like. You, well, even just hearing it, after that and not knowing any of the details, one yeah. would feel like, you know, damn, they're in deep shit. Yeah, totally. But so in court, Wolf's lawyers, so spirit, side of spirit. Mm-hmm. Wolf's lawyers argued that Led Zeppelin became familiar with the spirit song after singer Robert Plant saw them play at a club in Birmingham in 1970, a year before Stairway to Heaven was released. But like I said earlier, they toured with them before 1970. Oh, yeah. So regardless, this this is the point he was arguing. Like they, they toured with them. Right. Unfortunately, Plant insisted he had no memory of that specific night, the club in Birmingham night. Oh. And claimed his lack of memory may have been due to a bad car crash that he had on his way home. Um, that both, night? Yeah. Both oh, wow. he and his wife suffered head injuries in the accident. So an accident mixed with whatever substances were floating around at the venue, I'm sure would prevent one from remembering clearly. Even so, there's no way to prove if he remembers or not. Like, you know, that's just like he said, she said kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But they they were very specific in bringing up that one night. Wow. Which was very quickly turned around being like what you just said. It's very hard to prove that. Yeah. Um, Guitarist Jimmy Page also testified that he had been unaware of Spirit's song until people started posting online comparisons in the early 2010s. I guess when you're as hot of a rocker as they were, you're not really paying attention to other rock bands. LOL. And I'm sure you're not just scrolling on YouTube looking at content that's like made for your band. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I mean, maybe hmm, you what are, are people saying knows? about us today? We're Led Zeppelin. I I'd care probably so do much. That, honestly, I'd oh, be like, oh. what are they saying about me? <laughs> um, but the jury rejected both of these testimonies from the Led Zeppelin members saying that they had access to Taurus, even though they didn't seek it out themselves. Like I said, they like were on tour. Yeah, they were yeah. on tour with them. They obviously were like in they were in and around spirit. Yeah. So like when they were on tour, spirit was performing their self-titled album that Taurus was played on. Right. So that song was being played in concert while they were on tour with them. So it's really hard for them to like have that argument, you know? Yeah. Um, So at this point in the trial, it's like, you know, things are kind of looking up for spirit. I would think so because it's, obvious that they had access to this music yeah yeah Yeah. however more convincing evidence was presented by several musicologists on behalf of led zeppelin's defense and the experts said the descending musical pattern shared by both songs had been a common musical device for centuries and one example that they cited during the trial was chim chim tree from oh, Disney musical, yeah. like the Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of line cliches, descending patterns that honestly could yeah. not, maybe not exact with the exact chords in the descending from Taurus and Stairway to Heaven, but the exact idea just in a different key. Exactly. And you don't see Disney coming onto Led Zeppelin being like, we did the same thing in our song. Right. It just happened to be very poor of Led Zeppelin to match the exact chords as and we key, yeah, the and the key, key and, everything and the timing. Yeah, yeah. Literally like a copy paste, but they kind of copy pasted something that you can't copyright because again, it's the, one of the building blocks. Yeah. For our non-music students, like we said, the riff in the song is such a commonplace exercise, like practicing scales or patterns to better one's ability. It would... St- 
be crazy to copyright something like that. Yeah. But what I think is important to note that there were some errors conducted during the trial that may have led to an unfair trial, at least like on my, like in my opinion. Oh. Um, one being that the jury was not allowed to listen to Taurus during the trial, which may have skewed their end decision. Wait, they weren't allowed to listen to this song at all? Mm-hmm. They didn't play the song for them in the trial. They played, every, well, I mean, everyone knows Led Zeppelin's song. I'm not sure if they played it or not, but they didn't play Taurus at all. Zero, zip, nothing. It, why? It didn't mention. It just said it was not played. So That's it's like how... so interesting. Like, how could the musicologist, you know, present... I'm really confused at how this like went down. I think a lot of times in cases that they, I think there are other cases that they can't like show Play the songs it. and stuff. But um, that's I think how in that you case, dispute. Yeah, in it's just that case, ridiculous. like um, I think they'll kind of look at sheet music, oh. but that's very inaccessible for a lot of people. Yeah, for no one that knows how yeah. to read music. I yeah. mean, especially if there's you have musicians a jury. that don't know how to read sheet music I'm t- either. I'm terrible at reading sheet music. Like, I won't what? lie. It's not completely unfair because like. Even if you don't really know how to read sheet music, you can kind of see the general pattern. Like, True. Of it. Like, you can kind of... People are very in tune with, like, pattern noticing. In the way, yeah, yeah, they look. But, yeah, that's kind of... I, I find it so interesting that some of these cases, they don't even play the songs or I anything know. like that. And it's very confusing, like, why mm-hmm. that was allowed. And I, I'm, I'm sure it's on, like, a case-by-case basis. But I'm so curious yeah. as to, like, what the argument was to not play the song. I know. Well, and even me now looking at this and seeing that video where they lined him up. Yeah. I'm happy you clicked on the exact video that I've, I was hoping I've you. watched that video before. And the fact that they put them on top of each other, like if they did that in court, are you kidding me? I was shocked. Yeah. I would think that that would cause some upset, or at least change the opinion of some people. Yeah. Because it's like you see the timing and you know that they toured on them and they were listening to this song while they were on tour with them. And then, you know, a year later, Stairway to Kevin pops out of the ether and they Did get... Did you just say Stairway to Kevin? Heaven? Stairway to heaven? <laughs> it's Stairway to Kevin now. Where are you, Ke- Kevin? Stop. Um, but yeah, Stairway to Heaven pops out of the ether and then blows up. Led Zeppelin is more famous than Spirit will ever be. Yeah. The, you, they can't even play their song in court like that just like blows my mind yeah that's pretty not not even present the full case like all the evidence in dispute sure which i mean this is court so everything should be on the table but i guess not i mean yeah yeah but so the ending verdict led zeppelin won the case in 2016 when the jury concluded that the two songs were not intrinsically similar wow and in 18 it went back to the court of of appeals because Mm. spirit argued that the mistakes made like not playing the music led Mm. to an unfair trial however on march 9th of 2020 actually so pandemic the u.s circuit court of appeals in san francisco upheld the original verdict saying the errors did not warrant a new trial so they were officially turned down 2020 yeah so like really new it's pretty sad to think like, you know, the talent and the genius that Robert Wolf was. Mm-hmm. This guy played with Jimi Hendrix. Like, did Led Zeppelin ever play with Jimi Hendrix? I don't, I don't even know. know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? Like, a 15-year-old playing with yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. It sucks because I think in a lot of these copyright song cases, it's uh, smaller artists versus big artists. Yeah. And what also made me upset was that this dispute, just like this court case, has clouded, like, the talent and the popularity 
of spirit or their like ability to grow yeah alongside a pretty popular band like sure. led zeppelin yeah and wolf kind of remains forgotten after the fact yeah like i said if you listen to these you can't really deny the coincidence and the yeah. similarities let us know what you think because yeah. I think we should... Um, That'd be really fun to, like, read reactions. Can you no, guys just, like, type say, out your initial reactions for us? We should put it on Instagram, like, the side-by-side and, like, see if, like, what people think. I think that's... Do a little poll. Yeah, do, like, a little poll because I think it's that'd be really fun. Yeah, so that was my first case. Wow. Kind of crazy. I, Welcome to Copyright Corner. Yeah, I love this. I love this episode. <laughs> okay. All right, what do you have for me? So I am going to be talking about... Uh, Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams versus Marvin Gaye. Hate Um, that guy. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. So uh, one of the most high-profile copyright lawsuits in the recent times was between the estate of Marvin Gaye, pop star Robin Thicke, and hip-hop legend Pharrell Williams. Legend. He is. I won't deny. His big hats. So released as a single in March 1977, Marvin Gaye's Gotta Give It Up topped three different Billboard charts, including the R&B and Hot 100. It was about a shy man who finds a woman to help him dance. Blurred Lines, on the other hand, (laughs) um, (laughs) was a very controversial song in the 2010s. As a side note, it was banned by many student universities in the UK. In the UK. Yeah. British people really be setting high standards. Yeah. That was kind of Australian. Yeah, it kind of was. What the heck? I've never been able that. to do Australian in my life. That was great. Anyway. It was widely interpreted as a song that questioned the interpretations of consent and rape. That's how I took it, too. I don't yeah, know about you guys. Like the rest of the world, but the U.S. Blurred is like, Blurred lines, yes. like, crossing Artists. a line, you know, whatever. You <laughs> blurred guys- lines definitely crossed a line. There ain't no blurry lines there. Yeah. A quick listen to Blurred Lines reveals a similar party atmosphere and instrumentation to Marvin Gaye's earlier hit, resulting in a turbulent trial between the two parties. So I'm going to get a little bit into this. In August 2013, Robin Thicke, Pharrell Williams, and T.I. sued Marvin Gaye's family and estate and Bridgeport Music for a judgment that Blurred Lines did not infringe copyright of the defendants. So basically, Marvin Gaye's estate accused them of copying the, quote, feel and sound of Gotta Give It Up, and they tried to sue them just for saying that. Yeah. They sued him back. They, no, they sued them first. Yeah. Right. Because Marvin Gaye, they were just accusing. Yes. They're like, how dare you say that? We're suing you. Yes. Correct. Uh. <laughs> In the lawsuit, Marvin Gaye's family was accused of making invalid copyright claims since only expressions and not in individual ideas can be protected. So like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But another case was filed in 2014 and the case. So this was Marvin Recent, Gaye's estate. Yeah. yeah against Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams. In this 2014 case, T.I. was left out of this. I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> but Does Pharrell Williams and... Robin Thicke. Do they maybe own just the compositional copyright, if that's what's being disputed here? I think so. Because if T.I. was just like on the recording side, then that's maybe why he might not maybe. have been involved. That's probably it. Okay, fair. Um, The next case was filed in 2014. It went to court in March in the following year, but took about three years to resolve. 
<laughs> in September 2014, the Hollywood Reporter released files relating to a deposition from the case. Mm-hmm. So within this deposition, Robin Thicke stated that he was inebriated on Vicodin and alcohol when he showed up to record the song in the studio and that Pharrell Williams had the beat and wrote the vast majority of the song. So uh, he was my, throwing his friend no, in the yeah, bus. Kind of, in my opinion, he was Yo. like, fuck Pharrell, which is insane to do. Anyway. Ugh. But within Pharrell's respective disposition, the producer noted that he was, quote, in the driver's seat during the song's creation and agreed that Thicke, in past interviews, quote, embellished his contributions to the songwriting process. So Pharrell Williams was kind of like, that's true. He didn't really do too much here. But I love how they're like fighting in their own defense (laughs) and then fighting (laughs) against someone else like they're bicker. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Marvin Gaye's estate, their representative musicologist, Judith Fennell, Mm -hmm. detailed a number of similarities between these songs, including a 10-note melody that underpins Gaye's lyrics, I used to go out to parties, and Thicke's line, and that's why I'm going to take a good girl. So those lines have a very, 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 very similar melody. I also don't like how those lines are lyrically linked. That freaks Um, me out. Anyway... Fennell also outlines similarities between instrumentation and the distinctive falsetto and use of party noises that define both of the songs. I will also say I think the bass line is almost exactly the same thing, maybe a note or two off. I personally think that these songs like do have like a very similar vibe. So I'm going to play this video here. It's another kind of like side by side to really give like a good representation of how this case was fought. Right. Yeah, the baseline. The baseline, I think, is so so similar. Like, and I think the drum beat too. And again, you can't like copyright a drum beat. You can't copyright this and that. But like, I think I do. They really tried to copy that instrumentation. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. like the types of of percussion that they were using. The quote feel of the the cowbell. Yeah, yeah, like all these like little woo little that sounds. Those are pretty spot on to like the same sound. I think so, too. So the jury ended up finding Robin Thicke and Williams guilty of <laughs> copyright infringement, initially rewarding the gay estate with $7.4 million that was eventually reduced to uh, $5.3 million and half the royalties from Blurred Lines, oh. which is a pretty substantial 
payout. Yeah, okay. In 2016, Thick and Williams' legal team appealed against the ruling, uh, arguing that before the Ninth Circuit Court for the Central District of California that mm-hmm. Fennell had presented, quote, unprotectable elements of the music to the jury, wrongfully swaying their opinion. So they're basically just saying this musicologist did a shitty job, but like they're just fighting against yeah, Marvin and they're also Gaze's saying, like, unprotected musical. things, meaning, like... Mm. I will say that, like, distinctive falsetto and party noises are not exactly, like... I can see, like, their argument there. I can. But again, if you hear these two songs side by side and kind of look at the composition as a whole, I do agree with this ruling. I do. I do as well. Um, these elements included anything that was not present in the original sheet music deposited with the U.S. Copyright Office, which led to the team to claim that any sound recording used in the case were void. Yeah. So they were saying basically because these, quote, party sounds and distinctive falsetto and the feel of this song weren't necessarily transcribable onto sheet music, that it wasn't necessarily copyright infringement. Uh, That's a big no for me, because if we remember what I said in the beginning, any sort of tangible way of recording, that could be sheet music or a professional recording, idiots. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's stupid. I find that argument less like i think that has less grounds than their first argument yeah I think absolutely they sh- yeah they're just trying to think of things at this point yeah i mean in 2018 the court maintained their ruling in favor for gay's estate handing down the final judgment of 4.98 million in damages as well as interest on the owed amount and um, 50% of all future royalties acquired from Blurred Lines. Good. This was a landmark verdict among the copyright lawsuits. The Blurred Lines case has established a new legal precedent in which copyright infringement cases can be based not just on a song's musical score, but on its groove and overall vibe. And I think that's a very good way to lay it down like that because kind of what I said back to earlier, if the average audience member can be able to distinct these differences Mm -hmm. even not necessarily like knowing all of this like musical terms or anything like that i think that the average audience can hear the similarities and it should be protected yeah exactly absolutely so yeah that was a little short i think we also need to have an episode just on copyright cases that marvin gay's estate has marvin gay's grooves are legendary and people try to steal well also i think i do i will say some of the case, or maybe like one or two of the cases that at least I've seen of mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye's estate suing other artists are like a little bit of a reach. <laughs> a little ridiculous. A little bit of a reach. Marvin Gaye created any and all music and we must protect him at all costs. I know it's really hard because again, it's hard to like just be like, am I influenced by this or am I... Copying. Yeah, am I copying? Because I will say as a songwriter and like any other songwriter I've really worked with, we'll have reference tracks. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll literally make, I'll make like a playlist of tunes that I kind of want to like pull from and take inspiration mm-hmm. from, but... You really do have to be careful with yeah. the way that you do that because even if you're not knowingly taking some elements from these things, like you subconsciously can and right. that's still copyright And again, I think it's like what you said, like if the average person can pick it out, yeah. that's because like you're not taking elements, like you're, you're recreating. as a whole. Exactly, as yeah. a whole. Like with this song in particular, you have the groove and you have these party sounds, but they're the exact 
same sounds same time like yeah. it's li- like you can they are both kind of like the basis of the song like mm-hmm. again a big signifier yeah, yeah like, like an identifier like of as the soon song. as either of those songs playing two seconds in you know exactly like what song it is and mm-hmm. i think that's how usually i think of it it's like right. if it's like a very immediate recognizable thing it's like an instrumental part of the song Absolutely. you know because they had to settle out, did they give any sort of like copyright credit to Marvin Gaye then? Is that I like, think in, like in the fine... I want to say because Marvin Gaye's estate are receiving royalties now from this song that they have some sort of composition credit. Gotcha. So if you look um, if you look up Blurred... Yeah. Why don't we do that? Let's yeah, just let's see. let's look it up and see. Um, let me look up... I like to look on uh, Spotify because you can look oh, at the artist you? credits and stuff. Okay, let's um, do that. I do wonder why T.I. was kind of left out of all of like the main um, I bet jargon. it's because that he didn't own the compositional copyright. That's just so weird to me because he's like credited on the song. He had He's under songwriter? Yeah. And is Marvin Gaye under something? No. Interesting. It's probably just some... So I they just, we'll they just got a payout, that, but yeah. not a copyright. Okay. Well, that leads us very nicely into my next case, which nice. is the bigger of my two. For everyone in the public is definitely like a no duh moment. Oh, yeah. But it was settled out in court, which is why we can all kind of laugh about it now because, you know, people are getting credit and people are getting paid and that's what's making everyone happy. So make all the jokes you want. (laughs) Um, But this next case is between Queen and David Bowie versus Vanilla Ice. Yeah. Ice Ice Baby. As you imagine, the court case was between the two songs Under Pressure, written in 1981, and Ice Ice Baby, written in 1990, and the use of one of the most famous bass lines in history. So background on the songs and creation of the bass line in particular. Like I said, this song is arguably like one of the most popular Bowie and Queen songs to date and forever. Totally. The original bass line has a few different stories of creation, depending on who you talk to. John Deacon, Queen's bassist, claims that the riff was created by Bowie, while Roger Taylor and Brian May, the drummer and guitarist for Queen, said it was Deacon who had come up with the riff. But the agreed story at this point is that Deacon had played something similar to what we know today in a session, and then they broke for dinner, and he had forgotten what he played when he got back, so Bowie chipped in and remembered it, and then kind of shaped it into like what we know yeah yeah and what comes to mind like oddly enough is like bohemian rhapsody the movie there's a scene about this yeah there is and i think they did break for dinner in the movie i forgot about but bowie is not in that scene i was gonna say i don't think he just like like, he was bowie guy no they bowie was not in bohemian rhapsody but i do remember where they're like dude like he's workshopping it and then it hits them Mm -hmm. so whatever it is this baseline was created and on the original, I think there's like two recorded versions yeah. of Under Pressure and one has Bowie and one is just Queen. Yeah. Might have been like for a remaster or something. But this is protecting the David Bowie and Queen original recording. Okay. So we all know the bass line. We're probably already singing it by now. But if It's so catchy. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. We know it at the beginning. Um, I'm just going to intro to the trial. So the legal case that was made was Queen and Bowie sued Vanilla Ice for the unauthorized use of their bass line in Ice Ice Baby. 
So when Vanilla Ice, whose real name is Robert Van Winkle, by the way, that which is looks like a Robert Van Winkle, like a Winkle. That's a funny. Picture of him. I've never seen a yes, picture I have. of him. It's I had no idea that's looking. what that guy looked like. <laughs> um, so when he released Ice Ice Baby in 1990 as a single, he sampled John Deacon's bassline, like this, the clip, the audio was sampled, and the rockers. Queen and Bowie, they became in a collaboration which they had absolutely no say in joining and didn't receive any credits or royalties oh, so after used, Ice Ice Baby. So he, he unauthorized a, sam- a yes. sample without getting clearance. Exactly. <gasps> exactly. So that's why they're like, after the song became, because it, I don't think it became a hit at first. I think it took a little while to become a hit. Exactly. And, and they didn't of- know it was that they're thing was even being sampled until it became you know on the charts yeah the hip-hop charts and they were like we had no say in this and we're not receiving any writing credit yeah or royalties so this is an issue that kind of goes back to my point earlier about talking about like the effect that the infringement has on damages in- yeah yeah do we want to just like you want to just play it real quick? I would love to play... We're going to play a few things. Yeah, we're um, going to play a few things. We'll get into that second thing, but let's just play the bass lines. Let's just let's just jump right into it so we just heard that and um again anyone with ears very clearly like the same but in court vanilla ice's very poor defending argument was that the two baselines were in fact different because he had added an additional note to the baseline just one note he said made it a night and day difference he would later claim that he was joking when he said this which is a really terrible thing to admit, especially if that's the your basis argument. for your defending argument. Yeah. He knew he was done in for it. Honestly, how did he think he could get this past Queen and Bowie and, I don't know, the entire world? Literally. That's some, like, vanilla ice confidence I need. But I we have, have the video. <laughs> is this, like, an interview? It's, it's an interview. It's yeah. an interview with it's vanilla. An MTV yes, interview. it's an MTV interview with vanilla ice, like, <laughs> describing his argument and... We're going to put this in here. We just need you guys to hear this, please. Let's just play it's it. just so good. Let it go. Rip. And just to prove his point, Vanilla breaks it down and sings the dings. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. That little bitty change. It's not the same. I God. I'm screaming. It's like, it's not the same. And his face. I had to show you his face. You guys need to watch this interview. Look at how he knows he's full of shit. He's so crazy. He knows he's cuckoo bananas for even. He goes, it's not the same. He literally sung it. He sung the Queen version. He almost forgot to sing his version. Yeah. He almost oh. forgot to add the one night and day difference. Night and day difference. The little note. I am screaming. But the fact that one note yeah. was carrying the weight of his whole argument. And that is absurd and hilarious. And again, I need that confidence. Yeah. So obviously the ending verdict <laughs> was that the court ruled in favor of Bowie and Queen. And Ice was sued for copyright infringement. And the case was settled out of court. Bowie and Queen received an undisclosed sum 
So some big money. bucks. Yeah. Big bucks. Um, and songwriter credit on Ice Ice Baby. So when you look it up, like you should, I believe, see. I'm going to look too. Yeah. Go look because they receive songwriter credit for this, which is why the song is still allowed to play and all that good stuff because they should have songwriter credit and be getting oh, wow. money for it. On Spotify, I think this might just be like Spotify, but like um, it says performed by Vanilla Ice and then it says written by produced by and there's no names interesting okay i'm gonna look it up on genius yeah That's go a good do website. that um, if you ever want to like know even like who plays on a song and stuff genius.com is a very good place to look at that stuff because they have they'll have usually like the session musicians and oh, shit awesome. like that which is really cool to look yeah. at so there's a like a few things i took away from this case one being queen's drummer roger taylor just like had a funny quote post court case he was like talking about ice ice baby he was like i don't like the song very much he's a rapper from florida with a funny haircut and that was all he had to say (laughs) i'm pretty sure vanilla ice or mr winkle was originally from texas but that's still a good dig whatever good dig good dig come on on. come on florida boy rapper. genius here vanilla ice is the last person to be credited on this uh He's like the last. Even like his producers are before him on on these credits. After that, yeah, David atrocious interview. Ryan May, David Bowie, Roger Taylor, John Deacon, Freddie Mercury, Floyd Brown, Mario, quote Chocolate Johnson, Earthquake, and Vanilla Ice. Those are hell yeah. The precedence that this case kind of set though was that it challenged the legality of sampling tracks and music. If the track is so close to its recognized original version, you're going to run into some trouble. But regardless, you still need to give writing credit to your sample artist so everyone can collect royalties for their work. Like we said, no matter how you flip, twist, distort, just like if you use a sample in general, it needs to have credit. You got to clear it. You got to clear it. Or maybe have a funnier haircut or be a weirder white rapper from Texas or Florida. I don't know. (laughs) So people are distracted from the fact that you steal other artists' music. So much for stop, collaborate, and listen. (gasps) Boom. Boom. (laughs) Bitch wrote the lyrics and was like, I don't know what those mean. (laughs) Biggest call out ever. I'm so proud of myself. Holy shit. Stop. (laughs) Stealing artists' music. There you go. I want a tattoo that says that. (laughs) wait can you get like stop and then i'll get the rest of it yeah yes oh my god that's a good that's a good like triplet tattoo yeah stop collaborate and listen listen. yeah Yeah. amazing oh i love it all righty big hitter list come on now it's a big hitter so um let me just explain to you a little sub (laughs) i almost said sub genre (laughs) a little a little portion of this very complicated copyright law. Um, While music copyright owners have a great deal of control over how their musical works and sound recordings are used, there are some limitations that permit others to use copyrighted material without the approval of the copyright owner. An important limitation is known as the doctrine of, quote, fair use. Unfortunately, there are no bright line rules that apply when assessing whether something is not fair use or is. For example, a common misconception that it's not a copyright violation if the individual is doing the copying is not 
making any money if the copy is branded as, quote, promotional use only, or if the project is otherwise non-commercial. Also, another common misconception is that it's not a copyright violation if you copy. For example, only 15 seconds or four bars of a song. So, like, how much, basically? Yeah. Neither the non-commercial or promotional nature of a use nor the specific duration of a copy alone control whether or not something is fair use. So it's kind of like there's not a lot of like clear, it's kind of, it goes on a case-by-case basis, basically. I'm going to be talking about Roy Orbison versus the Two Live Crew. The song in question by Roy Orbison is called Oh Pretty Woman, and I'm sure all of you know this tune when you hear it. It was co-written with Bill Dees. Roy Oberson's Oh Pretty Woman is one of the defining hits of the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Three decades later, it found itself at the center of one of the most contentious copyright lawsuits <laughs> in history after it was parodied by the two live crew's 1989 track Pretty Woman. Whereas Oberson's original chronicled the relatable plot of a man seeing a pretty woman, falling in love, having an argument, and then getting back together, the controversial hip-hop crew used its tune as the basis of a song describing a, quote, big hairy woman and a, quote, bald-headed woman. I'm screaming. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) This one's kind of a silly one. Big hairy woman? bald woman tag yourself yeah for real hairy woman i'm hairy woman (gasps) (laughs) twins twins so the two live crew did actually initially reach out to Acuff Rose Music, the owner of the original copyright, okay. asking for authorization of the use of Oh Pretty Woman and offering copyright credits and royalties in return. Okay, so they were responsible about it. Yes, but okay. they were denied the request. <laughs> Believing that they were protected under the, quote, fair use doctrine, the two live crew went ahead and released Pretty Woman anyway. Mm, um yeah i see i see i see so um, people think they can get away because using of this fair use. use yeah and i'll kind of go into it a little more oh, too okay okay specifically pertaining this case they put it on their 1989 album as clean as they want to be after almost a year later nearly a quarter of a million copies of this record were sold and then a cuff rose music incorporated sued two live crew and its record company luke skywalker records for copyright infringement yeah that's fair yeah so fair use under the section 107 of the copyright law fair use of copyrighted work is not technically copyright infringement so while fair use explicitly applies to the use of copyrighted work for criticism news reporting teaching scholarship or research purposes The defense is not limited to these areas. The federal district court in Nashville, Tennessee, granted a summary judgment for the two live crew, reasoning that the commercial purpose of the parody did not bar it from fair use. The ruling pointed out that two lives crew parody, quote, quickly degenerates from the original and only used no more than what was necessary of the original to create the parody. For those reasons, the court decided that it was extremely unlikely that the two live crew's song could adversely affect the market for the original song. I was just about to say what it kind of like reminds me of just like right off the bat is how how many times has SNL done a parody of a song? I'm going to talk about that. Boom. Okay. Never mind. So yeah, this one, this case is pretty complicated because parodies are like so they're they're technically fair use. 
in my opinion, I think because they asked to use the sample and then just use the sample anyway after being denied the request, I think that was like the, that was the I think kicker. that was like the kicker. From what I was reading on the copyright law, it's kind of just like a little section under the Copyright Act. It's a loophole. It's kind of a loophole, but it's I don't want to say it's vague, but it kind of is. Okay, let's listen to it. I'm going to play Oh Pretty Woman first. Um, just so you can kind of get the OG in your head and you'll you'll know it when you start hearing it. I didn't think I knew it at first and I was like, oh yeah, this tune. Pretty woman walking down the street Pretty woman the kind I like to meet Pretty woman I don't believe you You're not the truth No one could look as good as you Okay, so we know this tune. Mm-hmm. Pretty popular tune. I danced to that tune in elementary <gasps> school. Stop it! For a school play or something. Shut I'm up. trying to remember, but it was. That's I, so cute. It was me <laughs> and two and other girls. Yeah. And then I still remember. And there was one little boy who was like acting a clown as we were dancing, trying to be like, you oh know, my God. just like a man and three pretty girls. It was so. Wait, I love this. And I, I'm not going to shout out all their names, but I remember all of those people yeah. that were with me. They probably and remember you I too. Hope, that seems like a defining. I hope they re- do. Well, because how old were you? Or if they like blocked like, it out how of memory. Old you? We were probably in like the second or the third grade. Hilarious. What were we doing? Let's play the second one. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Let's play the second one. This is the hip hop parody. This is the parody. Okay. That is not real. <laughs> I know. So as you can probably hear, they were obviously intending that to be a parody of the OG yes. song. But I think because of the way that they presented it to Roy Oberson's like music incorporation or the one that he was a part of, mm-hmm. I think that they did have grounds because they used the, the tune. They like, they yeah, they, without it. clearance. Yeah. Yeah. The verdict. The federal district court in Nashville, Tennessee, ruled in favor of Two Live Crew. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the ruling, declaring that Pretty Woman was a commercial exploit for profits and therefore could not be considered under the fair use terms. Okay. Okay. That's fair. But Two Live Crew main man Luke Campbell, however, fought back. Parody and satire are protected under the First Amendment... I guess. Mm. Comedy shows like Saturday Night Live were founded on both. Parody artist Weird Al Yankovic, living fucking legend. Yeah. Then at the height of his fame around that same time, he never got sued for any sort of copyright. Right. Like he never had any and copyright that was like, lawsuits. that's his thing. That's his fucking thing. So Campbell felt that Two Live Crew's song was in that same tradition, which I I do I do kind of agree with. Like that was very obviously if Al a parody. and if SNL are making money, which they are, yeah, then absolutely, 
Yeah. If that's already been set as a precedent and shown to have worked for how long they've been running. Yeah. Then, yeah, it's really no different in that case. The case ultimately landed in the U.S. Supreme Court. No, it didn't. Yep, it did. So, uh, Big hairy woman <laughs> walking to Supreme Court. Big hairy Literally. woman. Yeah, okay, great. Um, in Campbell versus a cuff Rose ruled in favor of two live crew upholding that the precedent that the parody is protected under fair use, which again, I agree with, but it's kind of crazy that that got overturned at one point because they were like, no, it's not fair use. You copied, copy, copy. But I can see how tumultuous this case could be because again, like I said earlier, they did ask if they could sample the song. They said no. And then they just fucking did did it it anyway. So you know, does SNL have to ask to sample songs or no? Because it's honestly, all I don't think so because it is a parody and it's like very clearly supposed to be a parody. And I think it's it's protected under the yeah. law. And just, you know, as a lover of comedy and satire, I'm just thinking how different SNL and like comedy and. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if that wasn't allowed? If this precedent had been switched like yeah. if this. Well, I think that just would have started a really big conversation about like what makes a parody song a parody song versus right. a copyright infringement? Mm-hmm. And I do see how that can kind of get into like muddy waters True. where I can see how that song can almost kind of be like making a jab at the song itself rather than like just being a funny little parody tune, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, but it's very interesting also because I feel like... But it's obviously supposed to be like a silly song. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, it's funny. Yeah, like, I, it's I, a I funny do think tune. though... On the opposite side of the token, if my song is like so good that people want to make a parody of it, I'd still like to see royalties from that. Because I do. It is no, I do. Get that. And like you know, so it's like just the fact that artists themselves can't collect on a parody because whether I think it kind of because they did put this on their album, yeah, you know, and they did make a lot of money from yeah. this. And I mean, tune. even just like people like SNL, like SNL doesn't release like Singles, albums or whatever, but they like that show like Showtimes. I don't know if I saw like a parody of a song on SNL, like that would make me want to go check out the actual song. Yeah, I agree. And that I brings if, money. I wonder if Weird Al, because he releases it and makes money, if he does have to clear that with the the copyright owner. I'd like to I'm know. Sh- maybe he does. But I do, I do agree that that obviously was like in that same parody, like. Yeah. Era, I think you know? I think it should like I think it should be allowed. I think there should still be some sort of like I don't know. I feel like the artist should still benefit. That's what I mean. It's just so it gets so it. muddy because it's like you want everyone to be making money off of the work that they yeah. create. Parody or not, I wouldn't say like yeah. I don't think the artists are getting offended that there's a parody. I just think they're like, oh, like lol, that person bashed my song and now it's getting like all these views. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to get money from that. I will say though, Pretty Woman is already besides like this. It's like it's doing just fine. It's, it was doing fine. It's like a staple hit of the fucking sixties. Yeah, and other people have covered this tune on their albums and things like that as well. So, like, it's not like they're, like, a small artist versus big artist. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's the other way around, and they're suing these smaller artists. Mm-hmm. I just thought this case was really interesting because it's kind of silly, and it blurs that huh, – it blurs the lines. Oh, no. Of, like, what <laughs> – of what, like – is copyright infringement and what's a parody. That'd be fun to get into that topic a little bit more, just like bring up all the parody songs. Yeah, that was super fun. I can't wait to do more of these. We'll be doing more. So many copyright corners. Corner. Corner. Oh, you know when you work in a restaurant and you're like, corner, and you like turn the corner? No. (laughs) What? You don't say corner? Like no. when you're coming around a corner with like That's a bunch of shit in your hands. That's what cars do on like a mountain. You beep around like a turn. No, you literally you go see. like 
corner. I'll just be like, like I'm turning the corner with I, a bunch of shit. I will in my literally hands. just Don't shout out. I will shout out. Be like, I'm coming through, or like behind you. Like I will Sometimes make myself. Sometimes you don't known. have time, babe. You just gotta say corner. If I heard corner, I wouldn't know what to do. That's really? like not an action word. Mm, like behind you means I, I think move I've forward, worked in a lot know? more like um, chaotic, chaotic restaurants yeah, you than you have. Corner, corner. <laughs> <laughs> Next copyright corner, we won't have to be like we'll like touch upon it, but we won't have to go into we don't all have the to legal. Go into it. We just needed gar- to lay this. Yeah, we had to lay the foundation. A um, copyright case against itself cannot stand. No, I tried quoting that Lincoln thing about, oh, a house divided. A copy case. Hello? A copy case (laughs) undefined cannot stand. That's kind of the Lincoln thing. I have no idea what the fuck you're saying. You know, you said that like a house divided cannot stand. Maybe. Sure. Again, this goes back to history and law and being a lawyer and how bad we'd be at it. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you next week. Oh, yeah. And go to our Instagrams and we'll link it. Yes. And yeah, go to our Instagram and we'll p- be posting all of these videos and stuff these there comparisons. too. These comparisons. And we want to hear your opinions about them. We also want to hear, even if it hasn't gone to court, I've... Give us some outrageous us some, comparisons yeah. to compare. We'll have a little mini copyright court corner. Yeah. It, I think that'll be fun. So, so. Um, do that. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate and love you guys. We love you so much. Bye. Bye. You like what you hear? Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com.